1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. Supposing that gain is godliness. That's a verse that hits the health, wealth, and prosperity adherence right between the horns. The thing I love about the Word of God, it's candid, it's straight, and it tells it like it is. And in this world, with all that's going on, we need to hear the way that it is. Because we all have this feeling that Jesus is near. And if there's anything that we need to focus on in these days when we see all this ungodliness and seeing our nation turned into hell, we need to focus on our relationship with God and make sure that everything is clear between our soul and a Savior. I'm telling you, the, the end is near. Gospel, prophecy, revelation, seventh seal, Laodicean age, Jesus is near. We're down to the last hours of the last seal, and Jesus, you can sense his presence, you also can sense his anger, and you also can sense his judgment in this country that's going on today. Paul is warning Timothy about wasting his time and energy on the false teachers. These false teachers actually regard godliness as a means of getting rich. So Paul admonishes them in verse 3 to 5. And he explains to them why this idea that they think godliness is gain, godliness is going to open up a world of health, wealth, and prosperity, and you're going to fly around in jets, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. It's ridiculous. It's earthly. It's sensual. And it's godly. Ungodly. Excuse me. Many in the religious world, especially TV evangelists, they tell the stories. They know how to work it. They know how to work it. They tell stories of souls who are in dire straits, who were down, broke, busted, and disgusted, personally and financially, who after receiving Christ, they became the recipients of much wealth and riches. They then, these TV ministers, imply that if you will support their ministries, God will make you rich as well. And the gullibility out there and the naiveness that's out there and the millions of, me millions of people out there who buy into that, they don't even know their right hand from their left, spiritually speaking. If there's a gimmick, 
If there's a racket going on in this country, it's religion. There are hucksters and hustlers everywhere trying to make a buck from you, and the bottom line is they don't give a hoot about you. So this is the context in which our text is, is said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul was just straightening out the errant ideas and theology that some of these people had. And in a culture saturated with materialistic greed, many people today regard wealth as a sure sign of God's blessings. You heard me tell you many times, God is good. And God fills our arms, God fills our homes, God fills our wallets with good things. And so we go around carrying all the good things and the blessings and the material blessings and the temporal blessings that God blessed us with. But what happens too often, let me read it to you. What happens too often, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which, which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of many is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many, many sorrows. There's nothing wrong with being rich or having wealth and things if God blesses you. But there's a danger to it. And the danger is you'll get so busy trying to keep it and try to make it and try to manage it, you'll forget about God. And the second thing, it takes all your energy, all your expertise, all your ingenuity to, to, to keep, keep saving your wealth and keep keeping your wealth. And what that does is takes all your energy away. And then you can't come to church. You can't worship God. You can't serve God. You can't do this. Let me tell you something. Material things can be one of your worst enemies. Now, thank God. God blesses. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't go to college. Somebody asked me the other day, How, you know, you're a preacher. Didn't you go and get a ministerial a degree of divinity? I said, no. No. My mother didn't want to waste the money. Well, what happened to you? I ended up in Korea for 18 months, and that was my desert. And there God began to teach me with the word of God. Okay? And in the church of God, and I don't say this proud, I don't say this boasting. I say this. I never found more truth and more biblical understanding about what the Bible says than I have found in the church of the living God. Amen? Amen? I don't say that. But there's preachers out there that say, you sin, I sin, we all sin. And then they have the nerve to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and say that the grace of God is going to cover sin. The grace of God in a million years will never cover anybody's disobedience. 
I don't know how I got on it, but I'm on it. Let me get off of it. Raises my blood pressure. Now listen. And if wealth were such a sure sign of God's blessings, do you know what's happening now in this country? There are pornographers. There are bosses of organized crime. And there are drug cartels that are trying to say, well, God's blessed us. And they're sitting around the table with their millions and millions and billions of dollars. And they think God's smiling upon them. That's how ignorant they are. That's how deceived they are. And that's how devilish they are. I think it's time some of these TV preachers with great wealth, mansions, and jet planes start to question their motives for serving God. And what does our text tell Timothy to do? What are we to do with those kind of people that are hustling instead of preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Withdraw from them. Withdraw from them. Leave them alone. You know, how long have I been the pastor here? 35 years, right? Who's crazier, me or you? But in 35 years, I have never had to preach a full message on tithing. You know why? Because the church of God knows what the Bible teaches. Amen? Money is not an issue around here. Glory be to God. Thank God. Brother Wilson said the reason the church of God were such good givers is because God blessed Newark this little, little town with industry coming out the wazoo. God blessed Newark with wonderful employment because he knew there were people that were saved in that town and whatever money they got working hard and having a good work ethic, they would give it right back to God. Did I lose you on wazoo? What's the matter with you? You go out in the street and hear it every day, and it don't even it, it don't even it don't even phase you. But a preacher makes a little insinuation. Oh, your righteous guard's getting too tight. Loosen up. Loosen up. Let me preach the gospel. All right. The truth is growth in godliness does not guarantee material gain. The gain of godliness is godliness itself. That's the great gain that's Paul talking about. The gain of godliness is you got Jesus in your heart. You got the grace of God in your heart. You got the Holy Ghost in your heart. You got power and victory over sin, Satan, the world, the mark of the beast, his image, his name. Oh, glory be to God. You're on top of things instead of under things. And with that godliness comes contentment. 
happiness, joy, righteousness, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Contentment in other places in the Bible means sufficiency. And the whole idea of contentment is a state or a condition in which one needs no other help or support. Don't we sing that song? I have everything I need. I have Jesus to show me the way. Do you believe it? You see, when we have godliness, there is this incredible joy and contentment that comes with it. The source of our satisfaction in life is our love, devotion, and commitment to Christ, knowing that Christ is the source of our well-being, knowing that the future is brighter than ever, knowing that we're going to bypass a lost eternity, causes us to start singing all the more. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Amen. The world thinks we've got it all backwards. The world looks at, looks at us like we're stupid, like we're crazy. They think we got it all backwards and upside down because in Christ, we've come to a place where we feel complete. We've come to a place where no matter what state we're in, we are satisfied. We are content. We've come to a place recognizing as long as we have God, everything else is going to be okay. That's a great feeling. Not many people are feeling that well. So this world thinks that we're all backwards and upside down because we feel complete or because we left the rat race of chasing temporal things even without having bags of money and worldly goods because we intellectually accept the fact that money and things in and of themselves cannot bring us contentment and happiness. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? That all that the world out there is advertising, all that the medias are advertising, all that the devil is advertising, Anything the world has to offer, not a bit of it can make you and I satisfied, cannot fulfill our empty souls. And look at what we bypass by not having to get on the treadmill and try to have everything the world offers. Oh, what a joke. We understand what Jesus means when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, they had the same question. What are we going to wear? What are we going to buy? What are we going to eat? And Jesus just looked at him and said, hey, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be taken care of. Don't you know if it ever comes to a place where there's no food for the, for the people of God, God will drop it right out of heaven like he did one other time. But nobody can take care of God 
like God can take care of his kids. Now, you know why Paul says in verse 7? See, he begins to take away and, and to destroy that philosophy or that false doctrine. He says in verse 7, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can't carry anything out of the world. Amen? But we know the only thing we can carry out of this world is our relationship with God. Is we've got Jesus inside of our heart. That's the only thing that we can carry out of this world. Thank God for that. You see, when we have wealth and abundance of goods, it can become a danger to us, as I've already said, because it can remove us from the place of being truly dependent upon God. You know why God was real during the Depression? Because there were people that were on their knees and there wasn't anything to eat anywhere. And they prayed their food in. And when their food came in, they got closer to God. When their food came in, they started glorifying God. Do you know that that very same scenario can happen in America again? Do you know the kind of people that are leading our nation, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools? And God can put America on her knees in a hurry. He knows how to get our attention. I don't want it to happen. You don't want it to happen because you've got children, grandchildren. Nobody in their right mind wants it to happen. But it happened. And when it happened, good things came out of it. So that's why I keep admonishing you. If there's anything between your soul and your Savior, Get it right now, because the days that we're moving in are the days that the only hope of the people is going to be the Lord. There's going to be no other way, other where to look except to the Lord. And so get ready, get ready, get ready. First, because it might take the place of truly being dependent upon God, and secondly, it's management, all the things God blessed us with. It's management demands more and more of our time and energy and takes us away from our spiritual duties. There is a great line in the movie, Oh God. John Denver is talking with God in the form of George Burns, and he raises the classic question George does to God. He said, God, if you're so loving and good, how come there are so many people starving in the world? To which God replies, Look, I gave you plenty to go around for everyone. As long as some of you insist on having more than you need, others will go hungry. And that's the way it is. One of the concerning characteristics of today's culture is the multitudes have a lack of discernment 
and they have a lack of contentment, which indicates that humanity is starving, which indicates that people out there are crying for more and more and more of the things, the material things of this world, but they're not a material thing in this world that can fill that place in your soul that God created for himself. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therefore to be content. Thank God for that. It's rare to find anyone who is truly content with their lives because humanity has a tendency to run everywhere except to God. The story is told of a father of a wealthy family who took his son on a trip to the country to to show his son how poor people live. They spent a couple of days and a couple of nights on the farm of what would be a very poor family. And on their return, dad asked his son, how was the trip? The boy replied, dad, it was great. Did you see how poor people can be? His dad said. The boy said, oh, yes, yes. So what did you learn from the trip, asked the father. Oh, the son answered, I saw that we had one dog, but they had four. We had a pool that reaches to the middle of the garden, and they had a creek that had no end. We have imported lanterns expensive in our garden, and they have the stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, and they have the whole horizon, the whole countryside. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond and out of sight. We buy our food. They grow their food. We have walls around. They have walls, or we have walls around our property, Dad, to protect us. But they have neighbors to protect them. The father was speechless. Then his son asked, thanks, Dad, thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. That's what things will do. That's what material blessings will do. They'll take our focus away from God. And then we'll put everything on temporal things. And again, I want to reiterate, nothing wrong with having riches. Thank God for those that are wealthy, that have generous hearts, and they give generously to the kingdom of God. Thank God. Since the beginning of time, mankind has been dealing with the issue of contentment. After all, Adam and Eve, who were content with all that God gave them in the Garden of Eden, they coveted. I want you to catch something. They coveted. The only thing that God said they couldn't have, every tree of the garden, you can eat all day until you're full, fine. But the one that's in the middle of the garden, don't touch it. Because in the day that you touch it and disobey me, you're going to die spiritually and I'm going to throw you out of the garden. What's happening there? Same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. Whenever you 
decide to take the reins out of God's hands and you decide to play God, this is what the devil's going to do. The very same thing that he did in the Garden of Eden. He went up to Eve and he said, Hath God said? And she said, Yeah, God said, Don't touch the one in the middle of the, of the garden. Oh, ye shall not surely die. Oh, you can sin a little. Uh, you, 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 you can cheat a little, lie a little, you know, tell some little unclean jokes a little. Ye shall not surely die. And then listen to what the devil said. Because God knows when you start to know what's right and wrong, then you're going to become a God. And when we take the reins out of God's hand, and we start to play God, then we are on a path that is certain to lead destruction. Why? Because the Bible says it's not in the ways of man to direct their own steps. We were not made with an ability to do the right things without God. That's why you're seeing all this right be called wrong and all this evil being called good because they don't have a God that gives them the wisdom to know what is right, what is wrong, who is a woman, who is a man. We've completely come off the rails because we sit in our big Senate seats and we play God. And we go to all the parties and get guaranteed to have homes and millions of dollars. Oh, it's fun playing God. But it's a dead end. It's not going anywhere. It's going to walk you right into hell. But we love to play God. That's why Jesus said, if any man come after me, the first thing you got to do is get rid of this God. Get rid of self. Deny self and take up your cross. There's going to be some struggle here. And follow me. I'm cutting out some pages here. When I look back over my life and I see the events that led up to my getting saved and how God and the providence of God, unbeknownst to me, so wisely and so profoundly, called me to the other side of the world so he could sit me down and put me in the middle of Korea where there wasn't a whole lot to do and the only thing to do was get into mischief when they left the compound because the Koreans knew how to make money and the GIs were too stupid to know that it was going to cost them 
a lot more money. But anyway, while we were on the other side of the world, and you know how I got there? When I got back to New York, Schenectady, New York, my people live in Saratoga, Schenectady, and Albany, which, by the way, is one of the most corrupt cities in the all United States. That's why God led me out of New York. Can any good thing come out of New York? Moi. Thank God. Thank God. You guys got the good end of the deal, you know. A little amen, a little hallelujah. Amen. And I was sitting on my couch, my twin brother, my older brother, all the sister-in-laws, they were going to the State University in New York, Sunny, they called it, in Albany. And they were all going to be school teachers, and they all became school teachers, and they all made a lot of money, and they all had nice retirements. I was dumb as a bunny. And I was sitting on the couch, and I felt God urging me to go to that city where I heard all these wonderful gospel messages. And I heard the wonderful voice of Sherm and the wonderful voice of Brother Cummings and, and the preaching of Brother Barber and the preaching of Brother Wilson coming across the chart, the revelation chart. And I opened my heart to it. And after 18 months, we flew to uh, Missouri and then we drove all the way down to Lakeland, Florida because there was a camp meeting. I didn't even want to miss the camp meeting. I'd been away from home for 18 months. All I wanted to do was go to the camp meeting. And so we went to the camp meeting. And then I flew home. And I didn't know what we were going to do. And my older brother, my mother sent my older brother into my bedroom. He sat down on the foot of the bed. He said, Aunt, he said, listen, man, you can, you can get an education. Get the education first. We're all going to go. Get the education. You know, we'll all go. We'll study together. We'll cheat together. Whatever we got to do to get you through. And the urge was so strong. I sat on my couch in Schenectady, New York, and I opened up God's Word. I didn't know what to do. And I read the scripture in Proverbs. My son, give me thine heart. And let your eyes see what I can do. Let your eyes see what I can do. And I told my family I'm going. Didn't have a job, didn't have a place to live, didn't have anything. But the saints got me rolling and I ended up here pastoring you good folks doing something that I thought I never 
ever could do. And when I saw the goodness of God unfolding week after week, my resistance against him began to fall. And I learned that God is God and I am not. Church of God, God is God and we are not. And rejecting that truth will only lead you to misery and a world of heartache and sorrow. Rejecting the truth will turn your world upside down. God is God is a deadly place to be. For you and I to play God is a deadly place to be. Second Thessalonians says, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie and be damned. When people reject the truth that God is God, they start living in a delusional world. That's where everybody outside of Christ is today. They start falling for every lie of the devil. And what they think is freedom becomes bondage. And what they think is right becomes wrong. And what they think is light becomes darkness. And what they think is good is evil. And what they think truth is nothing but lies. Here's the illustration that might help. I want to give you this illustration about the law of gravity. Suppose someone believes they can fly and they jump off of a building. Suppose you believe that you can fly and while believing that lie, you go ahead and jump till you hit the ground. Likewise, there are generations of kids, young adults, who want to play God with their lives. And they want to have their fling in sin. Listen to me, young people. And they want to go out and fly high in sin. They want to experience all the thrills and all the spills. It may take a few months. It may take a few years. It may take a few decades. But eventually the truth is going to rush up and meet you and you're going to find out flying without God was a lie. And you're going to end up committing spiritual suicide. You're going to find out that sin has deceived you and the devil has fooled you and the world hates you and your life is going to hit the ground hard and you're going to feel the pain of life without God. There's pleasures in sin for a season. Yes, there is. Only to keep you coming back to the devil's table for more and more punishment. But the consequences of breaking God's laws will soon catch up to all those who play God. So let me ask you, old and young alike, who's in charge of your life? God or are you? in charge of your life when the Bible says it's not in you. you don't, you're not wired up to direct your own steps. Without God, you will commit sin. You will fall into a hole. You will be a sap for being deceived every single day. 
Are you trusting in your abilities, your achievements, your bank account, whatever? Do you use, now, I want, young people, I want to talk to you, and I want to talk to the young adults, and I want to talk to the adults. Do you use anger as a way to shut authorities down who are standing in your way from what you want? Kids, let me give you some good advice. If you will take this advice, it may spare you years and years of heartache. When your parents, out of love, say no to you and give you healthy warnings about the pitfalls of life, don't get angry with them and don't try to bully them when they're just trying to keep you safe, when they're just trying to look out for you. Their advice can keep you from addictions, from hardships, from dangers, from bad company, and from all kinds of things that can scar your lives for years and take the joy out of 15 or 20 years of your life. God put the authorities in our pathway to keep us out of trouble. God put the authority of your parents in your lives to keep you from getting in trouble. God gave me and put me in the authority as your overseer so you can get to heaven. Whatever you do, don't try to bully yourself and try to anger your way through uh, and give people a hard time because you want something that is called the forbidden fruit. The same goes for adults, politicians, pastors, priests, popes, leaders, educators. Remember, if you keep using anger and bully tactics to get what you want, the day is coming. Promise me, I promise you, the day is coming when your behavior is going to indict you before a court of heaven. And you're going to have real problems. So don't play God with your life. I'm closing because you will end up buying into that and into what the world tells you to buy into instead of what God knows you need. Other idols will begin to show up in our lives if we start to play God. Some questions you need to answer. Do I love or treasure anything or anyone more than God? Then it's a false God. Does anything bring you more pleasure than the things of God? So how honest are we at being honest with ourselves? You see, we were made to worship God and we can really be good at it. God wired us up with a little place inside of us called our soul and the only thing that can satisfy that soul 
is Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you can travel and gain the whole world, Jesus said. But it'll be no profit to you. And if you lose sight of worshiping the true and living God, the probability is you're going to run out into the world and worship the gods of your choosing. You see, how does something like that happen? Because as you sit in these pews and hear preaching about the missionaries and the sacrifices and the struggles, hear sermons about you carrying your own cross, you're sitting there and the devil's telling you, oh boy, if I join this crowd, I'll never be happy. And then you get the idea, I can go out here and be happy. And you fall right into the devil's hands because there's not a thing out there in the world that can make you happy, content, satisfied, or have peace in your soul. Nothing. Jesus said you can gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, what profit is it? The only thing that's going to wise us up and make us happy, genuinely happy, is letting Jesus get back into the temple that he created to get back into the heart that he made. Get back into that eternity that you have in your heart called the soul. Wonderful. Sherm, you can come. I'm through. Uh, I had a lot more to say, but time got away. What did Solomon say? He had nearly gained everything in the then known world. He had it all. 700 wives. A thousand concubines. I know what you're saying. I got all I can do to deal with one spouse. Solomon had it all. And when it came down to the time to die, he said, vanity of vanities. Fool of all fools. Dumb as all dumbbells. All is vanity. Let me tell you what the conclusion of this thing called life is all about, Solomon said. He said, fear God, reverence God, keep his commandments, for that's the whole duty. That's the most important thing in your lifetime. That's the most important thing you'll ever do, is to obey God's commandments. 
You've got religion saying, I sin, you sin, we all sin, and then try to con everybody and say the grace of God overlooks it. Paul said what? Shall we continue in sin that grace shall abound? Grace keeps leaping over sin? Grace keeps winking at sin? God forbid. most important thing I got to do today and you've got to do and for every other day of our lives is to obey God. Is to walk in the Spirit. Why? Because if we walk in the Spirit and let God be God, then we will not fulfill the lust of our flesh. We won't do all those stupid things. So the question is, are you really satisfied? Are you really fulfilled with your life? Well, here's the secret truth to life. Nothing in this world can satisfy you except Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, no matter what you have or don't have, knowing Jesus will keep you godly and content. And that's the great gain which will never, ever be taken from you. If I had a title for this message, I'd call it Holy and Happy. Godliness, holiness. With contentment, happiness. Holiness in here, happiness out here is great gain. You'll never get richer. And you'll never have owned so many precious things if you let God make you holy and let him make you happy. If you're here and you're struggling and you got some hurdles you can't quite get over, take a moment, come on down and pray. Sherm, let's sing. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hold steady if you can, please. Except when you have to take out a baby. That's legal. If anybody needs prayer, God bless you as we sing. Page 158. Been a tough week, folks. I've preached ten times in about nine days. Took everything I had out of me. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what to say. But every time I got down on my knees and said, God, what do I say at this funeral? What do I say at this funeral? What do I say at this suicide funeral? What am I going to preach? What am I going to say to the graduates? What am I going to talk to the church about? I got to go to a trustee meeting. God was there. Right on time. And he's here this morning right on time to carry your burden. Amen? To carry your burden and to lighten your load. God bless you as we sing. Come on, let the